Now, if we were at the second service, uh, this is when uh, we'd announce for the children to be dismissed for children's church uh, and that uh, type of thing. And um, Jerry Steenledge uh, was on the schedule for children's church today. Most of you know Jerry's still in the hospital. And um, thank you for praying for him. He's going to have uh, weeks of chemo yet to, to go through after this. And uh, so continue to keep them in your prayer and Sonia in your prayers. But also would it maybe encourage you, uh, one of the things he did was help with children's church. And obviously he's going to be off the schedule with that. If there's someone in here who says, you know what, that's a way I could be involved and, and help. It'd probably be about once a month. Um, you'd have materials and training and help, that type of thing. But if that's something God might be leading you to, you can talk to myself, to Miriam, um, and we work, can work towards that. But keep praying for Jerry. Uh, grab your Bibles. Open up to Esther, uh, book of Esther. Uh, most of what we're going to look at today is going to come out of chapter 6 as we've been working our way through the book. But, but last Sunday, before we could get uh, finished with, uh, with um, what we uh, looked at then, we didn't get to the very last verse of chapter 5. And, it, and it's an important uh, point in the story that we don't want to miss. And so we're going we're gonna to start with that, Esther chapter 5. And uh, remember, the focus of the book of Esther is the covert work of God, the fact that God is working all the time behind the scenes, even if you don't see or hear his name being proclaimed that way. Esther chapter 5, last verses, verse 14, it says this, Then Zeresh, his, his being Haman, then Zeresh, Haman's wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the king, with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Father God, as we look into your word, expecting you to work in our hearts and lives, to teach us, to, to train us more about what it means to love and follow you and what kind of God you are. Uh, we pray that you would, you would be our teacher this morning. God, we ask that, that you would be free to work in each and every heart here according to your will and your purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, just to put that verse in context so we, we get the big picture here, let's just remind ourselves of, of some of the basics of the story of Esther up to this point. The entire Jewish race was under a death threat uh, because uh, of a, um, uh, an evil plot hatched by Haman to, to exterminate this entire race of people. And the impetus uh, for this murderous scream, uh, scheme w- was the fact that one Jew, Mordecai, would not bow down and pay homage to, to uh, Haman, and he could not tolerate that. Uh, Haman uh, was so consumed by what he didn't have, this, this uh, homage from uh, Mordecai, uh, that he couldn't enjoy all of the good things that he did have. And therefore, he wanted to kill not just Mordecai, but, but his entire race, the Jews. Now, unbeknownst to Haman, and to the king for that matter, Esther the queen 
was of Jewish origin. She had kept her heritage secret, but now Mordecai was telling her that this is the time she had to bring it out in the open and plead their case before the king. And so to that end, she invited both the king and Haman uh, to a banquet, uh, bringing the two main players together. And the king knew that she had some you know, really important request to make, but she didn't make it at that first banquet. And uh, chances are she sensed that this was just not the right timing, the, the right place uh, to be able to, to tell the king what was going on. Because remember, Haman was his right-hand man. He was his favorite guy in the kingdom. So to accuse him uh, of this dirty scheme was, was going to be difficult. And so what she did is she said, well, you know what? I'm going to prepare another banquet. Both you guys come back tomorrow. And tomorrow I'll, I'll tell you what my request is. And so our verse that we we just read there takes place after that first dinner party. Uh, Haman was on cloud nine because of his perceived importance in the kingdom. And he was an important guy in the kingdom. Uh, but, But just his ego was boosted by this whole idea of the king and queen inviting him to this personal party, just the three of them. He thought it was awesome. But then on his way home from that party, he saw Mordecai again and just was realized of how much he hated that guy because he wouldn't bow down to him. And it just, it just ate away at him. It consumed him. And this date that was set for the extermination of the Jews, it was way down the road. It was several months down the road. And, and he just couldn't figure out how he was going to tolerate Mordecai for all of that time. And so his wife and his friends devised what they believed was a great plan for dealing with this, right? They said, have the gallows uh, 50 cubits high made, and in the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. There's your plan, right? And, and, and 50 cubits high. I mean, that's, that's uh, about 75 feet you know, and since the average Jew back then was about five foot four, doesn't that seem a little excessive? Uh, you know, uh, getting up there and doing that, um, they could have got by with something about one tenth that big. But uh, this uh, this whole plan w- was built right into Haman's egotistical pride, right? And uh, and and the purpose of a gallows that high would be a show. It would show everyone for miles around what happens to people who don't bow down to Haman. Oh, and he liked that idea. He 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 liked that, and so uh, he set his slaves to to work on the project immediately, so that it would be completed and ready by morning. Now you you know for me. One of the more troubling aspects of this verse, you know what it is? After giving this advice to to murder Mordecai, right? Zeresh, his wife, believed that Haman could participate in and, and watch this deed be done and then go joyfully to the king with the king to the banquet. I mean, isn't that kind of sick to think about? Killing someone? would make you happy, lighthearted, able to fully enjoy this banquet? In the sixth chapter of the book of Proverbs, there's a list of seven things that it says that God hates. And two of those are found in verse 18 when it says, a heart 
that devises wicked plans, and feet that run rapidly to evil. Well, that just pretty much perfectly describes both Zeresh and Haman, doesn't it? She devised the evil or the wicked plan, and Haman jumped at the chance to do it. And unfortunately, we're really surrounded by people like that in, in everyday life right now. You know, at, at school, maybe at the workplace, in social settings. I mean, not that most people are out there devising murder plans and that type of thing, but notice that verse in Proverbs simply says uh, uh, wicked plans. And, and, and wicked is defined biblically as anything that goes against God's perfect will and His ways. Uh, anything in any, at any level. So how many times have you been hanging around with people or just heard someone say, hey, you know what? We should, and then you can fill in the blank with whatever it is they're suggesting we should go do. And how frequently is that suggestion outside the plans and the purposes of what God would want for our lives. You see, it's because the, the human heart, uh, under the influence of the sin nature, is naturally opposed to God. And, and so uh, those things outside of God's will seem acceptable, normal. What, what's the big deal? That's no problem. And the natural heart if it goes unchecked and unrestrained, can even lead to a place where Zeresh and Haman found themselves, where, where murder seemed okay. They, that same book of Proverbs has some very good advice for us if we would find ourselves in a situation where someone is inviting us. You know, hey, we should. And you, again, fill in the blank. Uh, here's, here's what you do. Uh, Solomon says... My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Oh, that's pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? Uh, I remember my senior year in high school. This is going to date me some here. My senior year in high school, President Ronald Reagan's wife, Nancy, started her anti-drug campaign. And it was called Just Say No. Well, a lot of you remember that. And of course... When she first came out with this, all the critics just panned the idea as being way too simplistic, right? I mean, telling kids to just say no to drugs doesn't address all the complex issues that are involved. But um, as it turned out, it was a pretty successful campaign and had many positive results. Empowering and encouraging kids to say no actually influenced a lot of kids to say no. Uh, it, it worked. Now, of course, Nancy, uh, she can't take credit for that idea because, as you can see, God laid it out some 3,000 years earlier. I mean, you, you could paraphrase Proverbs 1.10 this way. If someone tries to get you to do something wrong, just say no. That's what the Bible is saying. So, you know, parents... Uh, great verse uh, to have your kids memorize. Um, powerful thing. Unfortunately, Haman never read the book of Proverbs, so instead he said yes. 
he gleefully jumped at the chance to take down his enemy and work immediately began uh, on the gallows and his plan was to get up bright and early in the morning to go to the king's palace so that he could have Mordecai hanged before it was time for the banquet. Now it's, it's really too bad that Haman didn't spend some time reading the book of Proverbs. Perhaps he would have come across Proverbs sixteen eighteen and saved himself a great deal of grief. That proverb says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. So, you know, that night, Haman's going to sleep uh, happy, dreaming of his evil plan to see Mordecai swinging from the gallows, proud of his position and power in the kingdom. But meanwhile, something very different was taking place in the royal bedroom. You look at verse 1 of chapter 6. During that night, the king could not sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of the records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So now here we have our, our, our covert God in action again, right? The king couldn't sleep. Why, why couldn't the king sleep? On that particular night, okay, uh, it wasn't because his curiosity about what Esther was going to ask was driving him crazy and so he couldn't go to sleep. It, it, it wasn't because he had heartburn, you know, from too much greasy fried food from the first banquet. It, it wasn't because he was worried about paying bills. All right. I mean, we don't know. Whatever the presenting reason was for why he couldn't sleep, the real reason was because God had a plan and a purpose. God was working. He was up to something. So how did the king choose to deal with his insomnia? Right? I mean, he could have taken a sleep aid which, you know, back then would have been like a very large uh, mug of spiced mead, you know, dilly-dilly. And if you laughed at that, you're watching too much TV. Um, uh, Since he, you know, didn't have the option of watching The Late Show with uh, Stephen Colbert or couldn't spend hours mindlessly playing Minecraft online, uh, he decided what he needed was something really boring to put him to sleep. And and so he commanded that the chamberlain get the royal records and bring them to them and then read them to him until he drifted off to Sumberland, which seems like a pretty good plan, but apparently it didn't really work because as we'll see as we keep going through this, he was still awake when, when morning came. But that was the plan. And so the chronicles of the king, uh, they were massive, Uh, you know, then you had scrolls, but whole bookshelves full uh, uh, of the chronicles because they kept a record of what happened every single day in the kingdom. And, and so, I mean, you can almost hear the conversation between the chamberlain and, and the king, right? Uh, you, you want me to get the, the royal records to read to you? Yes, get the records, bring them in. I, I got to get something to put me to sleep. I, I want you to, to read them. Well, where should I Start reading. I don't care. Just pick a spot and start reading. I mean, you know, that's what he did. So he went and, and he found a spot to start reading. And by the providential 
work of God, what account did he end up reading? Verse 2. It was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. You remember that count earlier? Mordecai had overheard these guys plotting to kill the king, and he went and and informed the king about it so that the plot was uh, subdued and brought to nothing. And and now they're reading about that in there. And and again, you you can, you know, picture the scene happening there after the king uh, heard the chamberlain reading this. He's nodding his head and going, Oh, yeah, you know, I I remember that. Those two jerks were going to try to kill me. And it's a lucky thing that Mordecai uh, found out and reported them. By the way, what did we ever do to to, uh, reward Mordecai for that? I mean, you know, that's something that that deserves some recognition. And the chamberlain says, "Uh, we didn't do anything. Nothing? Are Are you kidding? We did nothing for the guy? The, the guy saves my life, and we didn't do anything for him? I mean, that, that's got to change. We want people to know that it's a good thing to save the king's life. This is something we want to promote in the kingdom and, 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 and establish as a positive thing. We've got to do something for this guy. But man, I, I've been up all night, and I'm so tired, I can't hardly even uh, think straight. So who's in the court this early in the morning that could help me? Now, at this early spot in the morning, there was only one guy who was already at the palace. A a man who had big plans involving a gallows and a Jew named Mordecai. And he couldn't wait to get in to talk to the king about his plans. Now remember, nobody got to go into the king's inner throne room without an invitation. So he had no idea how long he was going to have to wait out there in in the outer lobby before uh, somebody would notice him and the king would take notice and and give him an invitation to come in. But man, lo and behold, it it happened right away. And and verse 5 records this. The king's servant said to the king, right? Behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come in. And in Haman's mind, man, this day is getting better and better because I just get right into the king. But before he could make his request concerning hanging Mordecai, the king speaks up, says, so Haman came in and the king said to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king desire to honor more than me. I mean, how's that for pride? I mean, Haman obviously did not suffer from low self-esteem. Uh, that was not a problem. He probably went to one of those schools where everybody gets a trophy just for showing up or you know participating, whatever. You know, uh, uh, this guy could not even think of even one person that the king might want to honor other than himself. Who could possibly be more deserving, more pleasing to the king, more indispensable than me? Can't think of no one. Must be me the king wants to honor. Now, on the basis of that uh, corrupted, egotistical thinking, Haman devises a, a magnificent ceremony of honor. 
He tells the king, you know, you, you should take a, a royal robe, one which the king himself has worn, and, and place it around the man's shoulders. They should take a noble steed from the, from the king's uh, herd uh, uh, and put a, a crown upon the horse's head, which is something they did to, to uh, designate nobility, uh, and, and a horse upon which the king himself has ridden. And they should set the man on top of that. And then you should take one of the most noble princes of the land and have him lead this person through the busiest streets of the capital city there, uh, shouting out all the time, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. And, you know, and as Haman's giving him this plan, no doubt the king's head's going, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, which, of course, would be inflating he, Haman's ego even more since, you know, he thought it was about him. And, and so how Haman's heart must have kind of soared as he heard the king say to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so. And then all of a sudden, everything was crushed in a single blow. Do so for Mordecai the Jew who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. I mean, imagine Haman trying to process this. I mean, first of all, he's crushed because it's not him. And then it dawns on him who it is that the king wants him to honor. That Jew. Mordecai, the, 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 the person he couldn't stand. And Haman, as one of the exalted noble princes, he's the one who the king selects to get to lead Mordecai around the city, shouting out the king's praises for him. I mean, it was a, a humiliating turn of events for him. And, and obviously, Haman uh, was smart enough to realize that this probably wasn't a good time to present his idea of hanging Mordecai to the king. So he didn't say anything about that. He, he goes out, does everything the king commanded, and, and then uh, just scurries home in disgrace. I mean, the text says that he, he went home covering his head. And, and nobody knows exactly what that meant uh, from that ancient... I mean, it could be he's just going home like this or, or maybe he had some shawl or cloth put over the top of his head so nobody could see him and, and recognize him. I mean, I mean, after all, the guy had probably been bragging around how he was going to take care of that troublesome Mordecai, right? And now they'd all seen him parading him around the city shouting out the king's praises. So, I mean, he was humiliated. He didn't want anybody to see him. He couldn't get home fast enough. And then once he gets home, he doesn't find any comfort at home. After telling his wife and, and his friends all that happened, they replied, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Now, it's not like they didn't know he was a Jew before. I mean, that's what this has all been about. Uh, and, and so some people have wondered what's going on here. It could be that God was... was uh, using them as a vessel to speak a word of prophecy, of, of truth through them. God uh, has occasionally done that in other places in Scripture, used a non-believer to, to speak his word. Or it could simply be that, that Haman didn't want to see it, but these guys were beginning to uh, connect the dots, right? Uh, Mordecai is a Jew. 
he hangs out with Esther a lot and spends a lot of time talking and, 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 and communicating with her. Maybe Esther's a Jew and the king, he seems to like Esther and now he likes this Mordecai because of what he's done for him. Uh, Haman, we don't think this is going to turn out too good for you. Maybe, maybe they were just connecting the dots. We, we don't know for sure. But at that moment, the doorbell rings and the king's servants arrive to escort Haman to the second garden party. But we'll look at that next time. For today, I, I think we can finish up with an incredibly obvious application for ourselves. What do, what do we learn from this? What do, we, what do we take away from this? Well, Haman, he really should have read and understood and then applied Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall or stumbling. He, he didn't read that. And he ended up paying an unbelievable price as, as we'll get to next time. But we, on the other hand, we have the opportunity to learn from him and take heed. Lesson number one for us today, hey, pride will lead to downfall. And since it always leads to a downfall, we need to be diligent to root it out of our lives. And, And I would guess that most all of us would, would agree with that statement, right? But the problem is putting it into practice. And, and the reason it's hard to put into practice is because pride is so sneaky. It, it's something that's incredibly hard to identify in our own lives. So let me give you a couple of identifying marks of pride. If you think less of someone because of the way they look, be it skin color or body art displays or clothing or cleanliness or any other external factor, then that's pride. If you have a hard time talking with someone, no matter what reason you might give yourself for it, chances are that's pride. That's behind the root of making you uncomfortable. If you know that you have a struggle with a particular temptation, but you do nothing to deal with it other than say, well, I'll try harder, that's pride. If you find yourself frequently worried about what others think about you, or maybe you're unwilling to try something or do something because you're afraid of what others might think of you. That's pride. If you find yourself unhappy or unwilling to do a certain job or task because you know that's beneath you, that's pride. If you're upset because you didn't receive thanks, because no one said good job to you after you worked really hard on something. That's pride. If you frequently find yourself comparing yourself with other people, whether you come out on top or on bottom, if you're frequently comparing yourself, 
that's pride. If your feelings are hurt because you did something nice and that niceness was not returned, that's pride. If you think, well, I'm just going to avoid and ignore this other person because I don't like them, that's pride. See, pride makes, makes you discount another person. Pride allows you to justify your own actions and attitude. Pride encourages you to treat other people differently based on how it's going to affect you. Pride lets you elevate yourself in your own eyes. Pride goes before destruction. I mean, it's a lesson that Jesus himself reinforced many times. And in fact, uh, Jesus uh, stated it as a basic principle in life when he said, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the, the clear implication uh, of Jesus' statement there is that God is the one who does the exalting and the humbling. He's in charge of raising up and bringing low. And yeah, that verse fits perfectly with what Haman experienced, right? He felt exalted in his own eyes and in his mind, and yet God, through his providential working, humbled Haman in, in the most agonizing way for him, right? The, the man that he hated, the, the one he despised, the one he looked down upon, the man he viewed as worthless, Haman was forced to publicly praise that man on behalf of the king. God humbles and God exalts. Which leads immediately into the second lesson. It's far wiser to humble yourself than to, have, than to be humbled by God. And, and the, the great truth from that is we're reminded we can choose to humble ourselves. It, it, it is a choice. I didn't uh, coordinate this with John this morning, but 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. See, by God's grace, we can humble our own heart. Now, it won't necessarily be easy because it will include identifying any areas of pride in your life. And as I already mentioned, that can be troublesome because we're generally really good at being blind to our own pride. So that might mean giving permission for someone else, someone who loves you, someone who loves God, to help you identify any areas of pride. And, and, and if you're scared to ask someone to, and to give them permission to point out any of these things in your life, that's pride. Ask God for the grace to be open and honest. Ask God to lead you to the right person to give that kind of input in your life. It might be your spouse or, or maybe it's a good friend uh, or an older Christian that you know and respect. Ask them and then, and then ask God for the grace 
to hear and accept what they say because pride always wars against this kind of thing. And maybe you're wondering, oh man, is it, is it really that important that I do this? Well, you could ask Haman. I mean, obviously the answer is yes, and here's the simple reason why. According to James, said, but he, that's God, gives gr- uh, greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, when, when we hold on to pride or when we refuse to even look at it and deal with it in, in our lives, we're putting ourselves in opposition to God and what He wants to do. Opposition both to the transforming work that He wants to do in your own life and to the world-changing work He wants to do through your life. Now, on the other hand, when we choose to humble ourselves... Well, then it opens up the floodgates of God's grace that He wants to pour out into your life. So is there anyone here who feels like they might benefit from more of God's grace heaped in your life? More grace to be who God designed you to be. More grace to do what God's called you to do. More grace to live how God has called you to live. More, more grace to love in the way that God's called you to love. Who, who needs more grace? If it's you, and of course the answer would be all of us, right? Are you willing to confront your pride to get there? Because the truth is, God wants to pour out His grace on you. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful again for your word, for just how applicable, how current and up-to-date it is. God, we, we know that each and every one of us has blind spots. We have pockets where pride exists in our life. And you desire for us to be able to root that out and you will do the rooting for us if we would just humble ourselves before you. So God, help us to take the steps necessary that we could be exalted by you at the proper time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.